students of color, applicants of color, and even if they're not in, interested in neurosurgery, uh, I just try to tell them what, exactly what Muhammad Ali told me, which is what they do matters to me. Uh, and they may think that the decisions that they make are theirs alone, or, or they, if their mistakes that they make are theirs to bear alone. But that's not true. Uh, the reason I think I am there is not only just for brain surgery, but it's also to help students of color and people of color walk in my office all the time. And I take them on as my, you know, mentees. And I mentor uh, all sorts of folks all the way from high school, college, medical school, even other neurosurgeons I mentor. Uh, so it's important to understand, uh, and having said that, it's important to understand you know, your uniqueness and your unique position and potential. But it's also important to understand that, you know, you're in a great place that you have a lot of support. Uh, and, and when you're in a, an environment like that, you should use that as a platform to help others. And it's okay to help students of color and people of color reach back. Uh, and so that's what I try to do every day. We had an opportunity to not only meet Muhammad Ali, but that interaction with him would play such a significant role in, in how you would move through your life. Muhammad Ali, um, as many of your listeners may remember, had Parkinson's disease, had really severe Parkinson's disease. And after I got my PhD, I, I didn't exactly know how I was going to use it in the context of my MD. But when I met him, it all just fell into place. It all made perfect sense. And he really had such severe Parkinson's disease, he could not speak. Um, he he could say a few words, but there weren't many. But one of the things that I really got out of that conversation that was so extraordinary was that he cared about someone like me who he had just met. And the feeling that I got was that, you know, I, what you do matters to me. What, what, what you're doing and what you're trying to do makes uh, a difference for people like me. And so I think that's what really carried me through the rest of medical school and into residency and the rest of my training, along with my father and mother who were extraordinarily uh, supportive and loving. I grew up in a really loving household. Both of my parents were medical. My father was a dentist. My mom was a, a nurse. Um, and so I think all of those things put together really drove me towards what I do today. I imagine that you'd face many challenges yeah, you know, I, I I faced three key critical moments in my career so far that have shaped who I am and my outlook on my career. Uh, there have been many positive influence, but the influences, but the three obstacles that I faced that were turning points for me were when I was getting ready. I was at the end of medical school, getting ready to decide what I would do with my career, whether it would be neurosurgery or something else. And I remember one of the deans saying to me, um, you know, you have a very bright future and you, you should be great for neurosurgery, but there's just one place that you should not even uh, attempt to apply. And that place was the University of California in San Francisco. And so my feeling from that was, well, hey, great. He just told me that I'm going to be able to, um, you know, go to many other places, but there's only one place that I can't go. And I was so embarrassed to admit that I didn't even really know a whole lot about, you know, UCSF. But as luck would have it, uh, or as grace would have it, I should say, 
uh, I ended up interviewing there uh, and I ended up going exactly to the place that he said wouldn't even look at my application. <laughs> and that was one indication that, um, you know, when I look back at it, I was so confused. I said, this person knows so much. They're so smart. And they, they told me that I would never be here. And I am here. What happened? Uh, was it a mistake? Did, did, did they do something wrong? Did I do something wrong? I was just so confused for many years. That's, I, I lived in confusion. And at the end of my neurosurgery residency, um, I was just about to go into the next stage, which was fellowship. And uh, I had a professor who, who invited me out to, to, or to, yeah, to lunch. And this person uh, went to the place that I was slated to go to uh, fellowship, which was in Canada, Toronto, Canada. And I thought that he was going to, I don't know, tell me, uh, you know, where the best places to eat were and where to live and, you know, what, you know, a little bit about the culture. But he told me, he said, listen, you know, um, we had a meeting about you today and uh, we don't think that you should graduate. We don't think you're ready to graduate and we don't think that you're going to, you know, do well if you graduate. And he said, um, and furthermore, uh, but he said, but we're just going to go ahead and allow you to graduate. Uh, but he said, let me give you some advice. This is the reason I invited you here. I'm going to give you some helpful advice. And that advice is if there is a complex operation that needs to be done, I want you to stand in the background and you let others do that operation. You should not volunteer to do that. So I said, okay, well, I was happy I was graduating, but I was still confused about, you know, having spent the last six years of my life you know, toiling and, and, and grueling kind of conditions. Um, so I went on to Canada and, and, you know, we were there and, and it just so happened there was a large complex operation that needed to be done. And I remembered exactly what he told me. So I stayed quiet as the others discussed who would do the operation. And we went around the room and one person couldn't do it because of some reason and another person couldn't do it for another reason. And, you know, they got to the person that was next to me and the guy said, I've never even seen an operation like this. I mean, I would never be able to do this. And so that was the only person left was me. And so I did the operation. It went very well. The family was gracious. They even, uh, I guess there was an award that was given in my name. Uh, the, the person that was giving the award was a professor at that university. So you can imagine that by now I'm really confused. I mean, I'm, you know, people are telling me I won't be a good neurosurgeon. I shouldn't graduate. Um, you know, I'm not going to make it here or there. And I just, you know, these are smart people. So I don't understand, you know, how that, you know, I am progressing along in my career, but being told the opposite. So the last obstacle I faced was uh, I was, again, getting ready to sit down and go to the next level, which was to come to Charleston, uh, which is where I am currently. And that person said, do not go there. You, you won't go far. It, you're, you're not going to, you know, this is not where I think your career should go. Um, and you won't, you know, you won't be successful. Um, you know, I want you to stay here. I want you to, to stay with me. I don't want you to go to Charleston. So uh, now that part, we didn't have a trouble. We didn't have trouble figuring out because my wife was the one told me, no, no, we're not staying here in Canada. <laughs> we're, we're going to Charleston. And that was a really easy decision. But I have had <laughs> some success here. Um, I love it in Charleston. Um, I have uh, affected the lives of so many people. Uh, there are so many people who are, are doing better because of all the training I've had, despite some of these um you know, proclamations that, uh, you know, I shouldn't come here or I wouldn't do well as a neurosurgeon, et cetera, et cetera. 
Now, I, I want to just uh, give the, the broader context that I have had many, many positive influences. So those, I don't mean to, to paint that as uh, the entirety of, of the advice I've ever been given. But those have certainly um, played in my mind a lot, uh, over and over, uh, as to how I would make a decision as to where I would go or how I would proceed in my career. But And they have influenced me positively by spurring me on and motivating me to do as as you know, good a job as I can possibly do for every patient. So Dr. Rowland, how many neurosurgeons um, currently work at MUSC? And I don't know if you know that number, but how many work there and how many look like you? And by that, I mean, are African-American. Well, yeah, I do know the number. Uh, it's about 15. So we're, it's 15 of us. I'm the only African-American um, um, neurosurgeon there. Um, I have had the pleasure of meeting many other African-American neurosurgeons, some of which are just excellent. In fact, uh, when I was at rotating at Johns Hopkins, I got an opportunity to not, not only meet, but operate with uh, Ben Carson there. And as I was referring to many positive influences, that was a positive influence. He sat down and spoke with me for, you know, uh, gosh, hours, I think. Uh, he had just met me. Boy, that really was a, a, a memory for me that I hold dear and, and I, I think about a lot. You attended Morehouse College in Atlanta. Do you believe that attending um, an historically black college factor into your life's work? Oh, it did for me, for sure. Um, and, and what I find, and, you know, there are some students who, in my opinion, do better at HBCUs. That's the acronym for historically uh uh, black uh, colleges and universities. Um, for me, it worked very well. For others, it may not work, which is why you really have to visit colleges on campus, in person, and you really have to sit down and talk to uh, a lot of people and understand, um, you know, what what makes that college the best for you. But for me, in my particular situation, Morehouse College was excellent. It was exactly what I needed to really drive me to become the person I am today. I don't think I've met, uh, first of all, I graduated as valedictorian in my high school, but when I was there, uh, yeah, everyone else was a valedictorian and they were so much smarter <laughs> than me. And that was exactly what I needed. That uh-huh. was the environment I really wanted to be in, mm-hmm. to thrive, to, to be able to interact with other people who look like me, a lot of which I hadn't seen growing up. Uh, it was perfect. I loved it. And just being on campus, I mean, the statue of Martin Luther King Jr. there every day, the Martin Luther King Jr. Chapel that we were in every day. I mean, it was an extraordinary experience. Are there habits you've incorporated in your life that you believe contribute to your success? Oh, it's funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> because <laughs> all those habits came from Morehouse. Ah. I remember, so first of all, um, you know, Habits for success. I mean, you know, everyone knows them first. You know, be the first one there in the morning and the last one to leave. You know that. I mean, that that's really basic. You know, if you're if you want to be successful, you're in an organization. You want to be you're you're in school. You show up first. Be the be the first. I mean, sorry, be the last to leave. Um, you know, always be on time. What we were taught at Morehouse is that if you're on time, you're late. So you should always be ahead of time. And I remember going to class one day and being late and uh they actually waited for me to show up and then slam the door in my face and then oh my goodness yeah they had a they had a pop quiz 
they actually gave out all the answers so that everyone made a hundred. And I actually was just standing there looking uh, like, you know, I would really wish I was on the other side. Uh, that's, those are the sorts of mind games they used to play. I remember the very first day I was there, 18 years old, uh, they had asked us a question and I, you know, gave a sort of typical 18 year old answer. And, and what I remember them saying, it was an excuse. And what they told us was that excuses are the bridges to failure. That when you make an excuse, you're just simply, the more excuses you make, you're just building that bridge to failure. All of those little, tiny little things always carry a pen. I still do that today. Even today at 45 years old, I carry a, an actual pen everywhere I, everywhere I go. And then, you know, lo and behold, I'm asked to find, you know, a bunch of forms uh, every day. So those are small little details that I noticed that other people don't do. And I think are they're small, but they're parts of success. And I think a lot of those I got from Morehouse. For full disclosure, I had the opportunity, and, and actually I should describe it as the pleasure of observing you recently as you spent time with a group of fourth grade students at Jenny Moore Elementary School. All right, who can tell me, is this the front or the back of the brain? Who says front? Who says back? You are an incredibly busy physician saving and improving the lives of patients. So why did you believe it important to take the time to visit a school? Well, you know, kids are really, they're at the heart of a lot of what we do. Um, I served for a long time uh, at our church and our youth ministry, this is before COVID. And um, it just takes me away sometimes from, you know, a lot of the um, really complex and um, and uh, really difficult decisions that we have to make with adults in terms of brain surgery and cancer and, and a lot of those things. So it just really, whenever I'm teaching, I'm in a completely different world, especially around children. Uh, and it just brings me a lot of joy. You know, studies also show that when we educate kids about science and math, they actually do better uh, in high school, in college, and beyond. So studies actually back, actually back that up, that professionals such as myself, uh, professionals such as yourself, when they see others in the area that they want to be in, they actually do better. And so I think we're just following what the data says. And I should also add that there was one very special student in that classroom. <laughs> yeah, that was my daughter. Yeah, she. It, this all started by her describing that she was going to dissect the squid and the brain, and I got really interested, and then I was asked to come in and help teach, and I just couldn't resist the opportunity, so I took the opportunity, and she did a great job. And she said that you did a great job as well. I asked her how she would grade her father in front of the classroom, and she gave you an A. Well, I can't believe she gave me an A. I'm glad she did because she, you know, she doesn't seem like she's listening very much when I'm talking to her about the brain when we're at home. But, you know, that's the thing about kids. They pick up a whole lot more than you think they're picking up. And she's just uh, extraordinarily bright and smart. And I'm so proud of her. But uh, that was a big, that was a, a real pleasure for me to, to do that. And I'm even more uh, impressed that she gave me a good grade. So that's great. <laughs> so it's hard to, you know, think that you might at any point experience self-doubt. Do you go through periods of doubt? And, and if you do, how do you deal with it? 
Oh, I doubt all the time. In fact, I'm doubting <laughs> right now because, you know, I just got, you know, news that, you know, there was something that was, was trying to do and, and I, that's just not going to happen at this moment, but I'm going to keep trying. And this happens all the time. One of the things that, that young students uh, and people who are, want to be successful should remember is that it is the doubts that keep you going. So if you didn't, remember, if you had no doubts whatsoever, you know, why would you strive to be better? Why would you want to be more successful than you already are? So you have to have doubts. So, I mean, you should establish that number one, doubts are important. Doubts are essential to success and it's part of success. And so if you don't have doubts, you won't have success. So you just have to sort of reframe the, the importance of, of how that works. Now, how do I deal with that? Well, I deal with it in several ways. Number one, I'm a man of faith, so I, I depend on you know prayer, church, my church community, talking with other um, you know leaders uh, of faith and, and people who are in my community who are really good at motivation and encouragement. And you should listen to people who has a who have a gift for that. That's why they're there. They're there to encourage you and motivate you. The second thing that I do. Uh, is I have not just a mentor, but I have a mentoring team. I have a group of individuals that I meet with on a regular basis who are experts in their particular field, by the way, who aren't all neurosurgeons, but are outside of neurosurgery just so that I can get a, a broader view uh, from within my own little insulated discipline. Um, and I listen to them and they tell me, you know, what they think should I should do or what next moves I should make. Uh, and then, and so that helps. But then I would say that the person who is able to motivate me the most and bring me out of whatever little, little, you know, uh, state that I'm in get in, in that way is my wife. My wife is extraordinarily good at knowing exactly what I need when I need it. I'll just a very quick story. I remember once when I was in residency, I got a letter from the from the from the program saying, Hey, we are putting you on probation. You you have done such a poor job. We're gonna we're gonna put you on probation. And they did they gave me that letter right before we were to go on a vacation. So say here here's your vacation uh, present. <laughs> oh you're gonna goodness. go on vacation and you're on and you're on probation. <laughs> so we went on vacation and this is what my my wife did. She turned our vacation into a, uh, a, a business trip. She rented out one of the conference rooms at the resort that where we were staying. And before we would go out on like say an excursion or something or to the beach, we would meet in the mornings in the conference room and she would go over all the things that I was doing wrong and how I could make them better. Um, and when I came back, from that vacation slash business meeting, um, I was a totally new person. And from that point on, from that vacation, I never had a problem after that. And since then, every time I have a major decision to make, she's right there. She's the first one to know about it. And she helps me understand and, and work through, talk through and think through all the implications and how that would uh, affect me and the people that I affect going forward. So my wife really is central to everything that I do. And of course, we can't forget about the little people in your life, your your son and daughter, and I'm sure they are great sources of motivation for the way you think and behave and act in the world. Yeah, you know, my son and daughter, oh boy, I tell you, you know, if you've got kids, 
it's like taking yourself back in time to when you were their age. It, it is it's so fun to see them learn. You know, when I had uh, my son, I'd already had a daughter, but by the by 2014, when I had my son, that was the year that Trayvon Martin died. And I was praying. I said, I really don't want a son. I want another daughter because having uh, a black son is, uh, it's a lot to deal with emotionally, culturally, and what this country has gone through. But lo and behold, I got a son and, and I'm now able to see the lens of um, uh, being a person of color through both my eyes as, a, as an adult, but his eyes as, um, as a child and just helping him understand you know, his place in the world, and, and along with my daughters as well, his place in the world, where we are as a country and as a society, and I can see all of those effects, um, you know, that that reverberate through it. Whenever something happens, whether it's a person of color or it's not a person of color, it reverberates through our family personally. And I'm able to really kind of process it. And me and my wife sit our kids down and we talk to them about, you know, what's happening in the world and, and why certain things uh, are the way they are. But but on, on a positive note, yes, my kids, I mean, we just got back from a basketball game. Um, I just love seeing them learn, strive, thrive, how they set goals, uh, how they want to be better. Um, and it, it's, it's amazing. And it just takes me out of, you know, sometimes we, we need to be taken out of that space that we're in that's, you know, dealing with so many complex decisions and all of the worries that trouble adults. And so I, I love to spend time with my kids whenever I get a chance. You have clearly demonstrated that it takes a village. And, you know, I can proudly say you are a part of my village now with my own daughter and you've taken her in. So it's something that you don't just talk about that you have certainly demonstrated in your actions. First of all, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And um, uh, remember, children that are, are they're, they're, they're my heart. So what happens is I have an extremely complex schedule but at, at work. But uh, my, uh, the folks who work with me know to clear my schedule whenever there's a young person who requests my time. And that happens just about every day now. So every day I'm getting requests from young people that is either in Charleston or across the country who want to sit down and talk with me, uh, who want my opinion, uh, who need help working through some, some problem. And it doesn't matter what else is on my calendar. Uh, they, that has to be cleared in order to make time for, for people like Reese, your daughter, who, by the way, I love, is a lovely young lady. <laughs> and I would love for my daughter to be like her because <laughs> she is just doing so many amazing things. Oh, yes, uh, but, but what I want is I want kids to see uh, and, and children to see that there's someone doing something, you know, like what they may want to do and that it is doable despite many obstacles and challenges, but that you can have fun doing it. Science is fun. Helping people is fun, but there are also other many um, uh, people of color doing so many wonderful things that I've met through places like Morehouse, Emory, and all the other wonderful institutions I've had a chance. Johns Hopkins, where your daughter is a, is a student, uh, so and places like California, Stanford, Berkeley, all those places I've had an opportunity to work in or work with. Um, and they can go there and they can achieve their dreams and, and, and really achieve something special that the world has never seen before. And that's what I want them to experience. 
Well, Dr. Nathan Rowland, it has been fascinating talking to you. Every time I walk away from a conversation with you, I am inspired not to become a physician, but just inspired to be a better person. So thank you so much for making the world a little bit better. One conversation, one treatment, one experience at a time. You truly are a phenomenal person. Thank you so much. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you for the encouragement. But let me just say, meeting you has been a real inspiration to me. Uh, I never thought I would be someone of your stature, and I have just been so inspired. And I have a little habit, by the way, is, is I people I watch people very closely who I want to be like. And I've watched you, and I I, I just love your just the way you uh, you inspire others around you. You really try to dig deep into the story to get the nugget of gold that's there, that's within every person or every story. You're a great motivator. Uh, people around you shine. I can tell just by observing you around others. They just really shine. They, they bring their best when they're around you. And I just want to thank, thank you. you for your friendship. It's been such a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day with your family. For this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time. Music.